Welcome to the Mindful Paths podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios. I'm Harry, an experienced executive wellness and longevity coach, keynote speaker and author of two best-selling books titled The Thought Gym and Working Well. And I'm Nick, an executive coach, founder of a multi-million pound award-winning business, an age group international athlete and a husband and parent to two beautiful children. Despite our different lifestyles and different approaches, we share similar values and we hope that by listening in on our conversations, we'll unearth some insights that may just help you to achieve your goals. Perhaps you want to become a better parent, boss, colleague, friend, or perhaps you simply want to live a longer, happier and healthier life. Well, we're here to help you to silence that inner voice of doubt that lives within us all. As I always say, Nick, if we train the mind, the rest will follow. Absolutely right, Harry. So let's get started. It's our first show. To bring everyone together, we're hoping this show is going to explore pretty much everything and everything that's associated with working well, with the mind, with productivity, with that inner voice, with performance. Yeah, yeah it's going to be an exciting exploration. Now, this started to give some foundation. You and I recently sat down. We had a tight curry. Uh, yourself was vegan. Yeah. Mine wasn't, which was the start of an early debate. We, we were the first in the restaurant. We were the last to leave. And we just chatted like this the whole way through and debated a lot as well. And he thought, you That's know true. what? This is a subject we're both really, really passionate about. Maximizing performance, getting control of our mindset, achieving goals and objectives, being healthy, living longer, being a good friend, being a good parent, all the things and the inner voices and little battles we have with ourselves. And we had such good conversation. We thought, let's, let's, let's bring this into a podcast. We, um, we can talk for a long time. And that's that's probably why I speak for a living. I think I always have interesting chats with you. And I think hopefully the listeners will, uh, you know, having that eavesdrop onto almost like a private conversation that we're having, are going to get some uh, insights and nuggets that I think like we always walk away with when we have our, our, our chats together over the last 12, 13 years now that we've been yeah. We've been friends. So well, let's start there because you just said you speak for a living. Let those that will not be familiar with either of us, I'm going to start with you, Harry. Let, give give the audience, the listeners, those watching, a little bit of background to who you are, what you're up to, yeah. your journey, and why I think you're the perfect foil for the conversations going to work alongside me over the next how many ever episodes. Yeah. So uh, my name is Harry Kalimnios. It's, I guess what I would call myself is a health and vitality coach, speaker, author, trainer. Um, for me, I'm really passionate about all the things I can do to make myself and others around me think, feel and unlock that inner superhuman within them. And when I say superhuman, people always get a bit kind of uh, confused with what I mean. And really what I mean by that is, you know, when you feel at your best self, on um, those days that everything's clicking for you, how can you feel like that more often? Because a lot of the time we think that's by accident and and really it's not. There are certain things that we put into place that make us feel better. And my journey really, I would say, started probably about 15, 20 years ago. But I suppose in earnest, when I met you, right, around 2010, we met. And at the time that we met, it's interesting because um, we we met in September, really. That's when we did our first our first trip together. And that was my last month of work at the London Stock Exchange. So I was still working at the London Stock Exchange. I've been there for about six years and I was getting made redundant, but it gave me the opportunity taking that redundancy to investigate things that I was really interested in, such as NLP, like neuro linguistic programming. So I went on some courses, got my master practitioner on that. I started down this rabbit hole of a journey of personal development. And then that led me to understand more about health and well-being as I started seeing these amazing people around who were living 
quite well into their 50s, 60s, 70s and what they were doing differently. And that led me this whole journey into health and well-being, really. And and so when I started learning things that I had not realised before, I wanted to share them. And I thought, always thought to myself, it would be a real shame if everything I learned died with my brain, right? That is not like the only reason in my view to learn something is so that you can then go and share it to, with someone else. And, and so rather than talk one to one to people, you should talk one to many because it's a lot better use of your time. A bit like what we're doing now. Let me that. do a bit of a sell as well, because I've known you now, say, for 10 years. You are an author, for those watching on video. He's written a book called The Thought Gym. He's written another book called Working Well. He's just written a huge manifesto, of what a better word, which hasn't been published yet, but due to come out. And this is something that you live and breathe now, right? You're, you're, you're fully immersed in the world of, of health and well-being, which, which I love. And we have a lot of synergy in what we like and what we enjoy. We're both keen readers. I have to say that Harry's reading list, which he shared with me at that Thai restaurant, was oh, yeah. insane. My reading list, I, I, I'm a, as you know, I'm quite structured in a way. And so I just wrote down pretty much every book I, I read since 2011. And I went through a reading frenzy, I think, for four years where I was reading a book a week. That probably puts a little bit of context in how we're, how we're slightly different as well. Like, I'm a bit more of let's do it straight away. Let's not hang around. I'm very objective focused, goal orientated. And we first met when I decided I wanted to ride London to Paris, but uh, like how I like to share the word, I like to share experiences. So I decided to put this invitation out to anyone that wanted to come. I put it out on Facebook, put it out on social media. Lo and behold, on the first day we went, 20 odd people rocked up that I'd never met before, some way better cyclists than I was. I planned some Google Maps that we ended up following, which weren't to scale. It was a learning learning journey. My wife drove the uh, support vehicle. We bunged all our, our bags in and we, and we cycled to Paris with very little planning. In fact, so, so much little planning that Harry once did one of his Toastmaster presentations on how bad my planning was, which was interesting. And he shared it with me. That's absolutely true. But there's, a, there's some truth in the sense that I like to get off and just do things. So this idea with Harry like a, a couple of weeks ago, and now we are already recording our first episode. With- I think that was a good entrepreneur, though, as well. It's like, you're, you know, you just get out there, break some things and then work it out later sort of thing, as it were. Right. And that and that's yeah. a good thing to have. That's a good thing. To I have. hope so. So to give some uh, credibility to what, what I do. So I run a, a successful uh, business. It's a, it's a multi-million pound turnover business. So I'm CEO of that firm. So I guess it's probably worth mentioning that I also host two other podcast shows. In fact, I've recorded over 180 episodes, I think, uh, but they're both industry-specific shows. So one is called the HR L&D podcast. The other is called the Payroll podcast. What else? Me and Harry just have a huge passion for trying to improve ourselves and trying to do that to, to meet certain objectives. And for those interested in maybe following us now and you've got goals in your life that you want to achieve, I think our conversations are going to be quite useful. For example, between the two of us, we've cycled most of Europe now, Nice to Pisa, London to Paris, several thousand kilometers. I've completed an Ironman in under 10 hours. I'm a parent of, of two wonderful children. I was third in the world in obstacle course racing, which is actually a thing in my age group in the world championships in in Canada in 2016. And this year I qualified to compete at the world championships in Ironman 70.3. Like Nick did all these things and I still don't think he's doing, he can, he can optimize even more in certain areas, right? With, With some of the things we'll talk about, I'm sure. And it's just, it always astounds me how you can do the thing you do. And I read some of your Instagram stuff a while back for this, uh, for the triathlon thing that you were talking about where you, you hired this coach and 
and you said, right, I've got X amount of hours to train each week or something. And I'm running the business and I'm doing this. And I'm, like Nick does everything listeners, right? He, he, he has these business, he's got the businesses, but he's got the side hustles and he's doing all, all these other extracurricular stuff like the, I mean, you were doing a acting thing at one point, you know, with the yeah, I've, just, I've just written the uh, Limpstone Village. And, and you're writing a play, yeah. 2023. Writing- it was way harder than I anticipated, by the way. I shouldn't. And then, and then also you've got all these masters and you're like, oh yeah, I'm doing another masters or something. So I'm always amazed at like how you're accomplishing all you accomplish, right? Because I, I guess I'm kind of like, I used to do, I have done triathlons in the past, but not nothing on your level. I've done like, you know, the, the London triathlon and I've done one marathon, but, but you like when you, the thing is with you, and I guess this goes to, you're all in. When you got into triathlon, you went all in on triathlon. Then you went to obstacle course racing for about three or four years. And, you know, you're suddenly topping the, in your age group in, in the world doing those sorts of things. And then you went back to triathlon after a 10 year break and you're suddenly at the world championships again and i and, and then you another time you run a hundred mile race in like did. yeah that was a hundred kilometers that was hadrian's wall yeah it was good yeah but you know what this is this probably links to what we're talking about i mean it's, you may be very humbled by what you just said there Harry, and i appreciate that and we do respect each other a lot but i'm a big believer in if you know if you really want to this is a good test of motivation a lot of people say they want to do things right mm. i want to run my first 5k the distance doesn't matter i want to i want to write my first book but I haven't got the time. Now, I don't believe time is ever an excuse. If you want to do something enough, it's not about time. It's about motivation. So you've got to understand or know what the motivations are for doing something. Now, I have to say, I drive my family and my friends potty, right? Because yeah, these hobbies right. often cost a lot of money. So I'm always buying new gadgets, new bikes, and I move on to the next thing. And I'll buy a kayak and then I'll do that for a month and do something. You know, And it can drive people mad. But I have these goals. I have these reasons. My newest one now, I've just taken up golf and I'm just starting to play tennis and you know, how am I going to fit all these things in? I, I don't know yet, but I know that the motivation's strong enough to make the time for those things to happen. Well, yeah, I think I mean, a lot of that is just people want to do it, but don't know their why enough. I haven't quite discovered This is what I was saying to people is that, and I was talking to someone literally before I came on the call with you, I, I, I've got a mentoring group that I've just started mentoring to teenagers from around the world. And we meet for an hour every two weeks. And, and we were talking about time. And, and saying you can't make time and you can't create time, but you have to take time, which means you're t- taking time from somewhere else. Because at the end of the day, we all have 24 hours in the day. So sure. in order for you to find that hour to play tennis, you can't find it. You have to take it. You have to take it from something else. Now, what are you taking it from that? That could be sitting on the couch watching Netflix or it could be commuting or it could be whatever the thing is, but it has to come from somewhere. Um, and I, I'm a bit like that in that I've got lots of different interests, which was also a blessing and a curse and kind of fed into my health and wellbeing philosophy is that I, I was never anyone that was really super into any one thing. So like when I was at school, I was pretty good at all sports, but not like the best in the school at any one sport. I was pretty much near the top in all subjects, but not necessarily what I'd say the best in any subject. And that kind of, and I think it was always for me, it was that it, by going all in on one thing, am I missing out on the other opportunities? Whereas someone like you, you go all in on one and then you go all in on the other. So you actually do get all the opportunities, but you just, you're kind of, kind of compartmentalized. Yeah, but there's something in that, right? And what you've just mentioned is a, is a quote, which I have to think about a lot because because all the things I, I, I know, put on my plate. One is when I say yes to something, what am I mm. saying no to? Yeah. Right? And having that thought concept, if anyone is, is listening to this or watching this and they've got plans, 
you know, try and analyze when you say yes to that, when you add that other monkey onto your back to take on another challenge or another project, what are you yeah. saying no to? Now, in my yeah. life, I've got my own coach, which I speak to, who helps me a lot with this because every time I say yes to a new challenge, Ironman in particular last year, I, I, my, my target was to go under 10 hours. I wanted to see if I could go quicker in my 40s than I could in my 30s. And uh, yeah. now I achieved that goal, which is great. But in achieving that, it involved a lot of training. And that training meant less time with my family. So when I said yes to being on a bike for four hours on a Saturday, that's saying no to being with my son for four hours on a Saturday. So weighing this stuff up. So I made a commitment to my family that I'll do it for one year, one year only. And this year, I'm not doing any more full Ironman because that was almost like a contract that I set with my wife. The will was there to do it. But I can't do that every year because I'm saying no to the things actually that are also really important to me. So I think the idea of when you say yes, what you're saying no to is something something that'd be quite useful. Oh yeah, I remember. I think I first heard. Uh, I think it was Richard Branson say that somewhere, and and I and that was really kind of profound to me because I, I, I was thinking, yeah, if you say yes to this, you're actually saying no to a thousand other things that you could Absolutely. be doing. So like, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no because yeah, I love that, that. Hell yes, or that, no. yeah, yeah. yeah, it's either hell yes or a no because otherwise you have to deny other things. Um, but actually, I did want to ask you because it's quite interesting because you're definitely, at least appears to me, because like many high achievers, and this is kind of goes to a bit of what we're talking about in the podcast because we're talking about high performance, high achievers and stuff. But going from goal to goal to goal, where it's like the goal is is the thing, whereas I think for me, it used to be that in a way, but now I'm very much more the goal is the process, not the end result. Because otherwise, and it's like this famous thing of like, you know, the the astronauts who make it to the moon, right? Suddenly, a lot of them ended up becoming alcoholics and depressed. Because suddenly, by the time 45 years old, they've achieved, I mean, how how much more can you do than land on the moon, right? And, And suddenly, they've got the goal that they worked all their life towards. Or you could argue like, Professional sports players, right? By the time they're thirty, Wilkinson got... kicked the goal, yeah. and oh, yeah, yeah. the biggest that, bout of depression after that after that kick, right? Yeah. Won the and World so... Cup. Ten minutes later, he's the most depressed he's ever been. And so, do you feel like you're that kind of person that is going because you are kind of very goal oriented? You've got that that fitness goal. Whereas my fitness goals now are to do with you know, I guess what I call the lifestyle Olympics or the what I think Peter Tia, um, longevity expert talks about senior Olympics or something. It's like when I'm older, can I do basic things like get up from the floor, like put my bag in my overhead compartment of the aeroplane, you know, get up and down the stairs. And it used to be that I was into, you know, doing the marathons, doing the triathlons and going from goal to goal. But the last probably decade, my main goals in exercise have, have been just to have longevity and flexibility and movement and my big goal if you like ever was our cycle trips that we we haven't yeah. done for a few years now but that was my big physical goal of the year really and now it's very much not like that and I feel like my goal is the process because if all you do is live for the goal then you get now what once you get it yeah, I like, get it I mean you've got you You've got to enjoy the journey for sure. I mean, I think we're different in some of those things. I mean, I, if, if I felt the same as you, I would be stretching every time I did exercise, which I don't do. And I've got, yeah. you know, I don't phone roll. I don't do, you know, the, I've just well, started you, doing yoga. Yeah, yeah, I'm so. trying, I'm trying, I'm trying again. again this is another example of your, all of, you're very much like, you're like, I'm doing 30 minutes every day. And you're like, you're yeah, give like, it a go. Whereas I'm very much more of a kind of go slowly kind of thing. And, I, and have I think that. if I try something for, two weeks solid or, or a 30 yeah. days solid. And if I don't then adopt it as a habit, it's not for me. 
and I'll do anything for 30 days. Let's see if my body then goes, I want to do this by after 30 days, I want to keep going. I'll keep going. If I don't, I'll drop it and try something else. But I think you talk about the journey and the goal. I've definitely changed in this. You know, I went, I went through some trauma 12, 13 years ago. And I think that's changed my outlook on a lot of things. There's a, there's a Latin phrase called solvator. I think it's solvator ambulando. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a Latin phrase. It basically means it can be solved by walking. So taking that a level further, for my own mindset, for my way that clears my head, I clear it through exercise, through running, listening to podcasts, being in the fresh air, cycling, and just being in my own headspace. So I think that's a big part of it. So I, I try and pick goals that allow me to create that le- the, the, the exercise that's going to contribute to clearing that mind with a target. If there's no target at the end of it, I won't get out and go for a run. I have to have a yeah. reason to go and do a run. So I'll pick a race. And then uh, usually it's something big and it keeps me motivated for the course of a year, like a sub 10 Ironman, which is a, a big goal by anyone's standards, I think, and, and just push for it. If I don't hit it, you know, I, I can I can deal with that, providing I feel like I've put the work in. And I think in terms of, I'll tell you, actually, I've still got it on. If you can see, I've still got this little band on here, little green band. It's an athlete band. Genuinely, in 13 years of, of competing in different sports, you know, relatively decent age group levels, the best I've ever felt crossing a finishing line was the world champs in mm. um, St. George this year, 70.3. I came 130th, right? Nothing to, to write home about. I went out there and it's only the first time in my life I've suffered from imposter syndrome. Where I looked at everyone else around me and went to my wife, everyone here looks really fit except me. You know, you felt like these, these are real athletes and you do the race. But what was interesting is it was the first race ever. I didn't follow my data. I've got Garmin's out coming out my ears. Mm. And was, I just didn't follow. I wanted to go out there and, and enjoy it. And in the run-up to the race, the enjoyment got taken away a little bit because everyone, very friendly and nicely, started sending me messages going, Nick, you're going to smash it, you're going to crush it, you know, you're going to do it. And it put loads of pressure on. Well, actually, I knew, I could see the athletes around me, I wasn't going to crush it compared to, you know, I wasn't going to come in the top 10, the top five, nowhere near that level of standard. I was good enough to be on the start line, that's it. And it put pressure on that I didn't need. So I just shut all that out. I closed off my gadgets, closed off the results. And for the first time, genuinely, in 13 years of competition, I actually noticed what was around me while I was racing. So I actually saw the canyons. I saw the road. I saw, and I, I've never come over a finish line happier. And by the way, it was a PB, which I didn't even know. I didn't check my data till the last 3K of the run, the half marathon run at the end. I was like, oh my God, this is my time. I've got a chance of, of, of crushing, you know, crushing my best, best time. Finished in 4.47, which was a PB for me. And I've never, ever felt happier. And it was because I closed off my phone. I closed off the outside pressure. And I focus on what was around me, which is all the surroundings and everything else. I made everything else worthwhile. So I think the, the destination bit is really important. The journey to get there, though, if you go back to that Latin phrase, which is Salvatore and Belando, that really helped clear the head, clear the mind. But when I haven't got that goal, that's when I go, oh, I go downhill. My mindset goes downhill. I feel unhealthy. Yeah. I feel- well, I mean, it's interesting that you say it because I remember when we, I think when we, when we last met before the time we just met now, um, I think maybe you'd come over to my flat and you were we were doing a podcast together then actually back in 2018. I think you just moved and you were driving a lot between that work and home. That's and right. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you put on a bit of weight, right? Um, uh-huh. and, and you know you weren't feeling so good. You spent a lot of time in the car, and I don't think you'd had any physical goals at that point in in your life. And and you could really and you were explaining to me that you know you really felt it. And I think um, you know for you. I mean, definitely this is this is the thing that's going to work. But what's interesting in your story about, you know, the race you, you did, the, the 70.3, and I think for 
people that don't know remind us what what is the 70.3 Ironman it's like a half Ironman right so it's yeah yeah so it's a 1.9 kilometer swim uh 90 kilometer bike ride and a half marathon to finish great so that when you really you were really in the moment of the race rather than in the the result of the race right yeah 100 and what I love about that is that it's very much you know and I can't remember I, I know that you've kind of got into meditation and out of it again I can't remember if you're currently in it or out it but when we talk about something meditation I started maybe 12 years, 11 years ago, um, it is about being the observer and being present in that moment and being a bit more mindful uh, rather than doing the thing to get the thing, right? I, you know, there's a goal to achieve at the end of meditation yeah. thing because the reality is in life is that most of our time is going to be spent on the journey. And I, I, I always think about this when I, say go on holiday and people are stressing the airports to get to places. Now, obviously I don't really travel with kids. So it's a totally different story than if you're traveling with kids. But for me, the holiday starts the moment I'm setting out my front door, not the moment I put my bags down in the hotel. And yeah, because yeah. otherwise, if you're always going for that thing, you're going to have that stressful point the whole time. And I'm like, okay, let's just try and enjoy the journey because life, and it's so cliche, right? But I always say to people, whenever you hear a cliche, you should pay attention. Because there's a reason for it. For yeah, sure. there's a reason for it. There's truth to it. And so it is about the journey. And and for me, I, the challenge I've got at the moment is not necessarily having those goals because I've had various injuries, uh, like significant one in the last few years. And, and I haven't really kind of pushed myself physically because I've been still working my body out and, and seeing what can I do with with my my knee and everything. And, uh, and so I'm not really, I don't have the goals. And actually I haven't run for a long time. I, I was a bit of a runner and I liked it and I haven't probably run properly for about 15 years now. And I still haven't found anything that kind of gives me that feeling, uh, of that. I but you get it different to bring this into to context for those that don't know you and I do. I was going to mention a couple of things. The first is on the journey and destination thing. There's, a, I think it was, um, I heard it on the high performance podcast for the first time. It may, may not be that, but I certainly heard it. It's not mine. I heard it from somewhere else. And it's always, it's always stuck with me, which is this. If you climb Everest, the view at the top of Everest when you've endured weeks on the mountain, altitude sickness, getting yourself, you know, ready, your climate in all those conditions, you go across Jacob's ladder, you get to the top in the view, you're only for 30 seconds. And that view is epic, right? You, you, I've never done it, but you can only imagine I've done Kilimanjaro's with the close I've got to it. It's pretty high. And uh, you look around and the view is absolutely epic because you know, you've taken the journey to get there. And yet if I had, if I was at the top and you helicoptered in and stood next to me on the mountain, we'd be seeing the same picture, but for it's a totally different view. Mm. And that's what I think that just listening to that, I don't know what you'd call it, story, idea, has always crystallized itself in my head. But it's the journey. Without that journey, that view is rubbish. The, the yeah. finish, there's no point in me doing, you know, someone cheated me with a bus to the end of Ironman. I crossed the finish line. It's not the same as putting the work in, knowing you put the work in. And I'm competing. As well. I'm an age group athlete. Well, I'm, not, I'm not an elite pro. But I'm competing against other people in my age group that have the same commitments I do. They run businesses or they work hard or they've got kids or they've got other commitments. So they're all trying to find time to train, trying to find the motivation to train, trying to fit in the hours. And I love the fact I'm competing against those people. And I, 129 of them were better than me in the world champs. Yeah, hats off. They just, they just were just better. That's fine. No issue with that. And I think that one of the reasons I could enjoy the race itself was because I wasn't in the top 10 doesn't really make a difference to me like I'm 130th, 230th or 80th. 
they're not numbers for someone who's texting me going you're going to smash it none of those numbers make any difference to them either so i could kind of relax so i was like, actually i can just enjoy this which was really really nice in that particular instance to do but bringing it back to you so to bring some <laughs> interesting context i do all the running i get up early I, I swim i cycle and i find time for all this stuff which is great but then you know today no word of a lie you're gonna <laughs> laugh today i've already had a donut I've had some toad in the hole microwave, which is terrible. And usually I'd like to think, actually, I'm, I'm quite good with my nutrition in terms of not, not doing anything processed. But my, my daughter had it and she only had half, so I had the other half. So that's all really unhealthy. I've had a bag of Monster Munch. You know, I've, I've, I'm not great in my nutrition. And yet well, you, I, you won't travel without a juicer. I mean, look, come on. We're that, 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 is, that is true. Um, but what I also do is I do – I've had crisps today and chocolates today as well. You'll be pleased today. But I have also had my smoothie. So what, what I tend to do is – what I call front loading. So I front load my nutrition at the beginning of the day. And the best way I can do that is through, um, usually I'll take my, um, Vitamix with me. So I, I, I will travel. If I'm going anywhere for more than say three, three days, uh, I'll take a Vitamix. I was away this weekend actually in Brighton. Uh, but my sister recently about a year ago bought her own Vitamix finally after she realized she could get her daughter to make soup in there for her. So they she both take commitment. And that's the point. So when you last saw me and I was traveling, yes. so. I live in Devon. My office is in Hertfordshire. And at the time, pre-pandemic, I used to commute every other week to St. Albans, a long commute. I had no time to do anything else. I got big and, and unhealthy because my diet didn't change. You can get injured and you still, you know, yeah. very healthy, fit individual. Yeah. You take that bit of your mind and your it health. Really and it was, it's really what I was talking about with the, the group I had before. And it was all about values, right? And what you value most in life. And like, I know they value health and stuff as well, but I think, I would suspect your values, your top values are maybe slightly different to mine. My top values are health and, and security. And so most of my decisions come from, from those two things. So by taking my blender, I'm meeting both health, health and security because I can be healthy in when I travel, but also yeah. I can be secure that I know that I'm going to be able to eat, sustain myself. For example, this weekend I was going straight to work from, so I was training all day. So I got up at five today. I was in Brighton over the weekend. I left at six, took me two and a half hours to get to the school that I was teaching at today um, and included a 40 minute walk. Now, that could have been a six minute taxi, but because my values are health and and security, I'm going to meet my health value by doing a 40 minute walk uphill with a 15 kilo bag, uh, which is actually my main cardio is walking now. And then also security in terms of I know exactly that it's going to take me 40 minutes. I'm not going to get stuck in traffic and I'm not going to spend money and all this and the other. So it met my two top values. Um, and so when you kind of understand your t- top two values, you kind of worked. It's, it's not really an effort as such because you're going to kind of do that by default. So I took my juicing stuff, or my splendor stuff in like little containers with me and I use their, their facilities down there. Um, but actually what I wanted to say, bringing back to your Kilimanjaro thing, uh, not your Kilimanjaro, your Everest thing. Um, I've actually gone to ba- base camp. I think you know that. I'm not sure if you yeah, know that. Yeah, basically. Yeah you know, talking about looking back at where you've come and, and how climbing Everest is much more satisfying than taking a helicopter. I distinctly remember on one of our trips, uh, cycle trips, where we were doing this ridiculous hill. I can't remember. It was probably around 2015. There was a really, really, really steep hill, but it was a long hill. Yeah, I think it might have been Paso del Braco in Italy. That was a 600-meter climb. I remember I was grinding and grinding and grinding, and, and probably all I was doing, I think I was probably behind you, because you're always like first up the hills anyway. So I was behind you, and I was working so hard, and I was doing so well, 
because I was like, oh, I'm, you know, cane in it. And I was actually not keeping pace exactly with you, but you were in my sights, right? And I was so happy with that. I was focused on the goal, which was like staying on your wheel, staying on your wheel. Then I just, at one point I looked and I looked behind me and then I saw the amazing view that I had. And I thought to, and in that moment, it was literally in that moment, it snapped inside of me. It's like, sometimes we can be so hard grinding for the thing that we've got. Yeah. We don't realize where we've come from and just to step and take a look at it all. And that really, I don't know, it really affected me that, that, that specific moment. I was like, actually, and actually, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I started to slow down a bit and I dropped off a bit because I was like, actually, you know what? Am I here? to really get up the hill and beat, you know, beat the other guys and improve my fitness or whatever when they're younger than me, or am I here to just enjoy what I want to enjoy, you know? And, and I yeah. think that I, I just find like a lot of sports are metaphor for life, right? A lot of sports and activities are metaphors for life. And it, and so now I think I'm just more about enjoying that than get the what, next. What makes me laugh by that story? Like just, just for those, I mean, people are listening to this or watching this, but know the, the group that come typically on these cycling trips. Most people that come are not cyclists. They no. come because we, we, we tend to have a bit of alcohol after the rides. They're usually a little bit, well, they're planned by me, right? So a little bit, <laughs> bag of a bag of packing kind of done. We don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know what we're going to come across. We've, we've cycled into military zones and all sorts because of my planning, which which kind of add to the to add, add to it really. It's the experience of, of of the cycles themselves. But there were two guys that always cycled together up those hills, and we were talking about mindset. What I love, and it always makes me laugh when I watch them, is they just say to each other all the way up the hill, "I'll quit if you quit. I'll quit if you quit." <laughs> They both say it to each other. They go all the way up. They don't look at the view. They're hating every minute of it. And they're just yeah, yeah, yeah. each other the whole way. I'll quit. Go, are you ready to quit? Go on, if you quit, I'll quit. I'll stop if you stop. And they don't. Every time they trundle up slowly yeah. but surely with that okay. mindset. Oh, I'll quit. I love that. Totally different mindset to mine, but it's an interesting. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Because that's what I'm always curious about what goes on in your head, right? When, when you're cycling. What does go on in your head when you're like kind of cycling up a grinding hill? Are you saying something to yourself? Are you just breathing? Are you, what are you doing? I mean, it changes. I, I need to look at the view more often. It's definitely, definitely a point. Slow down to speed up. You just what you did when you look, look, look back at the view. I think I'm so data driven, as you know. Like I've got gadgets that will tell me how fast I've done a similar hill in the past, and I'll try and beat my own records. It's all about but me being. You're not saying something because I, I've, I've, and actually, it was quite interesting because I was with my niece at the weekend, and I, I've been teaching her a little bit about self talk and, and and things. So, for example. Um, one of the things that I say to myself up those hills a lot of the time, and I, I, I like a four count beat, right? Yeah. So each, with each step, I'm, I'll be saying things like in my head, like getting stronger, getting faster. This. And I don't do that. Yeah. No. So I do things like that. And, and that would just remind me that I'm, I'm struggling. So I, I'm yeah, that's why I'm curious to know because you're, you're obviously very yeah. good. But, and, that, and I just feel like in your head, it's just like a blank. Blank no, no, no. I'm all, I'm all about goals. So I'll be looking at right and get to that tree without without slowing down. Right now, I've got to the tree. I'm gonna get to that fence post without slowing down. I'm gonna get to that bend without slowing down. And I'll just pick and pick and pick until eventually, okay, I'm knackered now. I'm gonna get to that bit, and I'm not gonna slow down more than X. And then and I'll look at my data to see. I'm gonna get that in five seconds. I've done it in four. Right, the next bit. I'm just look constantly knocking off the the goals. Right, that's, yeah, that's why you're so. Far. I mean, pressing, actually, I did pressing way of doing it because I'm not enjoying the ride at all. Yeah, I did something similar. I, I think it was probably my best 10K or well, I think it was the Nike. It was a Nike 10K or something in Richmond back in 2003, long time ago, 20 years ago now. And I did something similar with, I would pick a person and my goal was to get past them. Pick a person, goal to get past them. Yeah. And actually I was fantastically fast on, on that run doing that. 
Um, so I kind of vary it a little bit, but I, 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 I do find that when I do something like a rhythm or a talk or like that, because a lot of the time I find myself previously years and years ago I'd be doubting myself and I say I can't do it like, I remember when I used to do cross-country running at school and things like that and I would always be thinking oh they're faster the things that were going through my head would be like oh they're faster than me or I'm not as fit or I haven't trained or and you they- easily set yourself a new objective actually it doesn't matter if I finish in this time actually I'll, I was going to hoping to finish in 45 but I'll finish in yeah 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 and, and there's all that negative self talk whereas the people because as you know like when you get to a certain level of performance right it's not about the physical, right? It's more the mental that's going to get you through. Like, I think it was Rafa Nadell who, who I remember reading talking about like the top 50 tennis players, right? On the practice courts, you can't, you can't guess who's going to win on those practice yeah, no. courts, right? Well, he's been out for losing his first set as well, isn't he? He always wins. He always, he's the comeback. <laughs> well, there you go. Because it's, oh, he is like militant, right? Uh, I wrote his book a, a, year, a few years ago. It's quite good. And, um, but like when you get onto the real thing, it's, it is that mindset. It's that mindset that's going to carry you through. Um, and that self-talk of saying, you know, you can do it versus you can't do it. A lot it. of it's external versus internal motivation factors. I'll give a good example, I think, of my own experience there last year. So I did Ironman in 2012 and I did it in 1045 in Switzerland. And I decided my goal this year was to prove that I'm fitter and healthier in my forties than I was in my thirties and that the body is as fit as you want it to be. And that was just something I wanted to do. So turn 40, due to the pandemic, should have been the year before, but uh, so in 41, um, I decided to go do another Ironman in Estonia this year. And I wanted to go mm. under 10 hours. But interestingly, talking about that, when you say yes, what do you say no to? So when you, I would say typically it's about six hours into an Ironman is when your mind, your mindset just starts to question everything. It was absolutely hammering it down with rain in the stone. The weather was ridiculous. You can see the pictures on, on Facebook, whatever. Really, really torrential rain. So you're pretty miserable. You're out on your own, not out to draft. So you're completely isolated on your own, uh, cycling for miles and miles. And a full Ironman, by the way, is double the distance, as we mentioned earlier. So this is 180 kilometers, 112 miles on the bike, followed by a marathon at the end. So six really? hours in. My, my head is like setting new goals all the time. It's, tr- it's trying to. Actually, it doesn't matter if you don't go under 10 hours, Nick. Under 11 is fine. Let's just beat what you did in Switzerland. I wanted to go under 10, but actually just 10, 40 would be fine. It's five minutes quicker. Than- you have all these questions. But what I thought to myself was this. It was like, look, I've given up hours upon hours upon hours of time with my family. You know, sitting in a, on a turbo trainer, which is not much fun for four or five hours at a time at weekends, running in the rain, swimming, which I hate, in the sea, which I hate even more. I'm petrified of jelly, but putting myself through things I'm not happy doing because I wanted to get myself to this point. If I let all that get in the way, I know what will happen. I'll go to the finish line. I'll instantly feel terrible and I'll instantly sign up for another one to beat the time I've aimed yeah. for this year, which yeah. is going to put my family through the whole thing again. If I yeah. get it done now, I don't have to revisit this. I'll probably will revisit it in my fifties and I'll probably try and do something similar again. But for at least 10 years, I haven't got to revisit it. And mm. it was pushing. I saw my wife. She was supporting me on the run. And I won't lie. I was pretty miserable. I wasn't particularly polite. She was like, go in it. You know, I'm like, don't talk to me. You know, I'm just, it's just all in your head. You're tired. Everything's burning. Everything's saying stop, stop, stop. I ended up going under 10 hours by three minutes. I would have taken one second, 9.59. I'd have taken it all day long. But pushing through and knowing that I don't have to now do that training again, I haven't got to put my family through, I haven't got to put myself through it. It was a much bigger motivating factor than the idea that I could cut it by five minutes. So I do think yeah. sometimes it's not that external versus internal. You've got a real That's reason why. 
Short-term pain for long-term gain. What was that? I can't remember. It's like Muhammad Ali says, like, you know, suffer now and live gloriously forever or whatever the thing. There's some sort of like phrase like that. And I think that's interesting. Like you put yourself in that mindset to say, look, if I go to 1040, I suddenly have, it's not that I've lost 40, 40 minutes. I've suddenly lost another year of training because I've got to go and do it all over again. And yeah, your wife is like probably the most supportive wife I know. She's pretty supportive, yeah. And also, she said yes. So what she said no to, she's 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 given me permission to do this, and I say permission, but you know, she's been fully supportive. And in her doing that, she's saying no to not having a husband around, and I don't want to put her in that again either. And um, yeah, having her there was amazing at the World Champs. Having her there at all my races is amazing. It's a real motivating factor. Um, But I just think, yeah, something completely separate. But I'll mention it. This is how we work. Things have popped in my head. You were talking about the mountain piece. I don't know if you know the story about uh, Tenzing Nor Tenzing Norgay, who I think I think it says Tenzing Norgay. Is that right? Sh- yeah. Mate, Sherpa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was to, he, yeah, you may know the story because it was um he did a, a podcast I was listening to uh, a while ago. It wasn't him recounting; someone was recounting on his behalf. But either way, the story was this: took a lot of people up to Everest, and when you go to Everest, you always put your oxygen tanks if you're going with oxygen. You hide it away and it's against the law to ever remove that oxygen because obviously it's lifeboat. People rely on it when they come back down the mountain. And he came back down and someone had, had taken the oxygen. And of course, the party he was with, with their mindset completely went. They were like, what are we going to do? We're going to die on the mountain. How could someone do this? You know, really, really panic, panic, panic. And sensing Norway to Anna said, look, we don't know why the oxygen's gone. It's very easy for us to say someone has taken and stolen it and for us to feel like that's a real bad thing. Well, let's just change the narrative. We don't know that that auction wasn't taken to save someone's life. All of us are, are healthy right now. I believe we can get off the mountain. And the way to think about it is, look, let's not look at what someone else has got, what someone else has done. Let's just take the assumption. Let's create our own narrative, our own story, our own our own mindset that says whoever took that oxygen probably needed it more than we do. And let's carry on down the mountain. He got everyone off the mountain, by the way. And they all it was a mindset shift of not panicking what I haven't got. Someone's taking it now. I'm not going to finish the race because I've got a puncher or whatever it is. It's going, okay, there are worse things. Maybe this has gone to a really good thing. Maybe, you know, all the maybes. And I love that. That story for me really resonated because I know my immediate reaction would be exactly not his, by the way, <laughs> being the others. Oh no, I'm going to die on a mouse. I've got family yeah. at home. It's, and that's and actually, that, that might be the natural reaction, of it, but then it's stepping back and then going, what else could this mean? Right. And yeah. because at the end of the day, we create assumptions and stories in our life about things, right? Someone doesn't text you, like to put it back to a real example that maybe people can like relate to, you know, someone, you text someone and then they text you back right and you've seen the two blue ticks right so in your head they've read the message and they don't text you back but the reality is you don't know for sure you know that the message has appeared on their phone right maybe someone else looked at their phone maybe they looked at the message they said they were going to come back to it later and where's the rule that you have to reply straight away anyway or whatever the thing is but we create a story oh that person doesn't care that person's ignoring me that person's upset with me but we have no idea right and you know like Tenzing said right maybe that person needed it more now again that's a made-up story as well because he's made that up absolutely but let's assume the positive but what does it but make up the one that serves you right because you're going to make it up anyway so you might as well make and actually by doing that you put yourself in a more of a calm state so you're going to require less oxygen anyway than if you're like in a stressed anxious flustered state so yeah i really resonate with that because i think we do a lot of this in our lives where we we make assumptions about situations and people. We have these big stories, these beliefs it, it, about the situations, and they're not necessarily. Text, 
your text story actually happened to me literally this week. So my my dad unfortunately is um as as stage four cancer, right? So he, he's giving us an update on his on his care and where how he's feeling and and, and where he is with his with, with his cancer. And I got a message update that just said, um, you know, this is where I am. These are tests, and I was driving. So I can read it, but I got Eva, who's my daughter, she's 13, mm. she was sat next to me. I said, can you just check who the message is from? She's, oh, it's, it's from your dad. So can you just read it to me? I was like, great. So she read the message and I was like, oh, brilliant. Really glad to know it's good. For me, it answered the question. He told me where he was. It was positive yeah. news. Of course, I can't respond. I'm driving. So I was doing a drive, which, which you know, was the best, best part of a two-hour drive. I didn't get back to him for ages, but of course, actually, he didn't give any assumptions to me. He was waiting. But in my own head, I, I finished the car and thought, oh my God, he must have wondered why I haven't mm. responded. He didn't wonder at all, by the way. He was perfectly no, no. He assumed I was probably doing something. But it made me think, actually, as the text receiver, oh, I haven't responded, but he's going to think I just don't care. It wasn't reality. I was just driving, and, and that was it. And it's funny how we make these stories up in our own minds, and they're not always true. Even when you know this, you still do this. Like, I, like, this is the funny thing with a lot of the things that you're learning, I've learned, or whatever, and what I'm still learning, is that we might know these things, um, but we still slip into the old patterns or the old ways. And so I guess this is also something to, for listeners to bear in mind when, you know, neither you or I are perfect in like lots of things. Right. And we're still kind of learning and still growing and, and everything else. And, and I think people can get caught up by thinking like, Oh, I've learned, I don't know about gratitude or mindset. And like, why am I still angry or why am I still this? Yeah. That, the other? Like, sure. yeah, because it's a process. It's, it's never done. We're always working on ourselves. And, you know, when I come and speak to a client, sometimes I often find that the client that I've got in front of me is sharing something with me that I need to learn again myself or be reminded of myself. And um, and so I think it's just worth bearing that in mind that we're not, you know, we're always a work in progress. And even if though we For might sure. know these things, we're still going to fall into the trap of like, you know, oh, why didn't they text me back or blah, 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 even though. You know, then you pause yourself. This is what I was explaining to uh, my students today. So I explain a little bit about nerves a lot of time and how to deal with nerves. And and this relates to what we've been talking about. But one of the truisms of life, right, fundamental truths of life is that nothing means anything except for the meaning you give it. OK, so nothing means yep. anything meaning you give it. So you choose to give it meaning. So I say to people, yeah, when you feel like nervous and you get like those butterflies in your stomach and your heart beating quicker, you notice that. And you choose that it means you're nervous. But equally, if you were on a fun fair, going a roller coaster, you'd have those same feelings and you would choose that it means excitement or anticipation or whatever. But the reality is that the body's just giving you signals and you're choosing the meaning. But I say to them, that happens very quickly. And I, and usually I try and make it relatable to what they know. So I say like, you know, when you watch a YouTube video and you've got auto play on and it goes to the next video straight away because you're like busy doing the dishes or tidying up your bag. What do you do if you start hearing that video play and you don't want to watch it? You pause it and skip to the next video or whatever. So your internal YouTube system is on auto play and it's gone to that video of whatever the thought is. And the trick is, to recognize that and and not beat yourself up for going there because it was an autoplay it went there automatically but when it goes there in those first five ten seconds or whatever you just pause it and say well you know what maybe this doesn't mean that they're upset with me or blah 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 yeah. and, and actually what's really helped me and this is a topic for another conversation is is that whole practice of mindfulness meditation and being aware of your thoughts as they're happening um, in those moments, not all the time, it's impossible, but at those points and you go, actually, 
And you kind of look at it from the observer point of view, like you're watching it literally, you're not in the YouTube video, you're watching the YouTube video and you pause it and say, it means something else. On, on this, buddy, we fully agree. I'm a big fan, I mentioned, of, of a guy called Sydney Banks who talks about mind, thought and consciousness. But mm. it's the idea that we're the, and I, if this resonates with people, it resonates with me massively, right? We're the thinker, not the thought. Yeah. That's, that's the really important bit. We're not a psychology, right? We, the, the thought is what dictates how we feel about it. But just because we think a thought doesn't mean we are the thought and we can change that around. We're not, we're the thinker, not the sum of our thoughts either. We, if we can change our thoughts, we can change who we are. We can change how we feel about things and definitely for another show. But I yeah. think we're agreed on, on how powerful the thought can be and how powerful we can, we can change our feelings. We can change our circumstances if we're able to change that narrative. Well, that's it. I mean, I think the analogy I tend to give to people often is that, I mean, we're, we're, we're really the receivers. So I would say like the TV does not have the TV program in it, right? It's receiving that program and it's just displaying that program, but it's not the program. It's not got the people in it. It's not the pro. So just we are receivers and we're just tuning into whatever it is. And if we tune into a different frequency, we'll receive something different, but we can turn it off. It comes, it goes. It's, it's, it's like just, the news. You're watching something that's happening. Let's say that the, the catastrophic earthquakes have happened in, in, in Turkey. You can watch the same news item. It could make you terribly sad. You could be in tears. It can make me incredibly angry because I'm, I'm interpreting the response to it. It can make someone else, you know, feel something completely different. Like you're all watching this. Yeah, we're all watching the same thing. It's yeah. just that we're receiving it and interpreting it in different yeah, yeah. ways. It's never the thing. It's always your response to the thing. That's that's what I say. I mean, even when it comes to actually, um, you know, uh, like certain viruses and illnesses, right? It's not actually often the virus that does the damage. It's the body's response to the virus that does the damage. Because if it was the thing, the response would be the same in everybody a lot of time. But it's actually not. It's the response that that person has to those certain pathogens or whatever it might be that has creating like an inflammatory response or this, that, the other. So it's always the response. And I, I think, I don't think you've read this book yet. I can't remember. You might have done, but it's um, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. So, yeah. And, and it, I think he says uh, somewhere along the lines of like the last of the, so he was, for those of you listening that are not familiar, he was a um, prisoner of war in, um, well, Auschwitz and a bunch of Auschwitz. other. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and a few other prisons as well. And uh, he was also um, the founder of, was it psychotherapy or something? One of these kind of, uh, he came up with one of these uh, concepts. But anyway, uh, log- logotherapy, that's it. So so basically, logos means, I guess, meaning in Greek. So it's about man's meaning, right? What's our meaning? And he said that one of the, so he was put in prison and he said, like, they took away all the I know, I know the quote you're going to, it's quite a famous it, quote, isn't it? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but he says, like, the, the last of the human's freedoms is man's ability to choose one's thinking choose. in any, yeah, in any yeah. circumstance. And, and really that's it. It's always our response to things. Um, and it's, um, and not the thing itself that's really important. And I, I do choose to do my best to remember that as much as possible. And it, there you go. So- I've got it, got it for you. I've just, just very quickly used my little surgeon. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And we are no longer able to change a situation. We are challenged to change ourselves. I think after a poignant quote like that, it's probably about time we started to wrap up. But before we do, I need to ask you, Harry, 
what is going on with your home setup? Here am I with my microphones, my nicely lit space. And when I look at you, I'm seeing almost a, a yellow-hued room. It's like something out of the Blair Witch Project. What on earth is going on with your home setup? Yeah, so this is the thing, right? So normally I would be wearing, for, for about eight years now, consistently from about sort of six, seven o'clock, on most evenings, depends on different time of the year, I wear blue light blocking glasses, right? And they help me to get on. I've got some of those. Yeah. You encourage me to buy some of these. I yeah, I've got like, I've got, uh, I've got, uh, I've, I've, I've got some yellow ones as well. Yeah, I could say I've got some like, I've got red ones, I've got yellow ones. I've, most of mine are wrap around those, so they don't allow any light to bleed in through the edges, which is, I think, key. And so I normally I'd be wearing those right now, but then I was like, oh, if we're doing this on video, maybe I won't do that. So the light that is actually on. So all, all the lights that I've got in, on in the evening when I do have them on are side lights and are nice. And they are special light bulbs that don't have blue light in them. So they're stripped out anyway. So the light that's currently shown in my office here is a small light, which has got a, without the blue light because I didn't want to wear the glasses in case. Right, I'll let you off. It's too, too weird for our um, thing. I still think your your video could do with some white light in there that we can see a bit better. So these are the glass. This is a good example of gadgets. So I bought these on your recommendation, and typically, whatever I spend on them, they live on my on my shelf. And I very, I think I've, I think I've worn them maybe twice. I should wear them more actually. But, I'm um, them. I, if you come around to my house in the evening, people think I'm super crazy because there's no lights on, and I have these wraparound sunglasses on. Um, and I take them. That's something I do take with me when I, when I go travelling as well, because usually, and typically, in other people's houses they have bright lights and they turn the lights on in the bathroom and in the hallway. I was with my sisters and they turn the lights on in the hallway just as they go to bed to walk up the stairs. I'm like, first of all, it's your own house. You should know how to get up the stairs without the lights on. But like, it's just so bright. So I just have these really red ones on. And I, and I was watching the movie with them last night and I'm like, everything's red. Like the whole movie's red. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care because otherwise it's too bright. And actually my eyes hurt. And actually even right now I feel quite wired. So I'm going to have to, when we get off our call, I'm going to have to like down regulate and, you know, just chill it yes, out. I'll, I'll probably put a pizza in the oven and crack on. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've eaten. I, I like to eat, eat by six. So I, I got in at 5.30. I had 30 minutes. Uh, luckily, my mum had brought around some food for me because I've been on the go uh, since 6 a.m., 5 a.m. this morning. Um, I, so. I don't eat before nine, half past nine. I mean, this is where we, we differ, right? Really? We, we, yeah, we I mean, I do have, we we have spot, I've got another gadget here as well, which we can talk about another show. I love it. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a back thing uh, for, oh, like, yeah. to open up the chest as well, recent one, and, and everything. Yeah, right, so. You've got a juice in hand. Well, I think it's probably a good time to, to end first step. So hopefully mm-hmm. this has given listeners a bit of an insight into who you are, how we met, uh, 10 years ago on a random invite to whoever wants to join me on a cycle trip and you were one of those people and we've stayed friends ever since uh, we've debated ever since on many topics which i'm sure we'll uh, look forward to bringing to the listeners over the course of time um but yeah i've, I've enjoyed today's conversation hopefully listeners have too uh tune into the next episode and we'll well we'll be tackling i think we're going to tackle chat gbt we're going to tackle thoughts we're going to tackle nutrition exercise yeah. Everything, that, everything is going to help you everything is going to help you tune in and um and you'll learn lots i'm sure thanks a lot cheers harry i'll speak to you soon that brings us to the end of today's episode of mindful pass we hope you enjoyed our conversation and found some valuable insights to help you on your journey whatever that may be remember your thoughts don't mean anything 
until you give them meaning. And as we've said before, mastering your mindset is a continuous journey, not a destination. If you found this episode helpful, please consider leaving us a review. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast platform so you never miss a future episode. Thank you for listening. I'm Harry Kalimnios. And I'm Nick Day. And we hope you will join us again in our next episode of Mindful Paths.